When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. From that day on, we was always together. Mackey and Judd. Like peas and carrots. On 1500 ESPN. Getting after it and understanding every day you're a Major League Baseball player, you have to look in the mirror and there's going to be positives, there's going to be negatives that you have to overcome. Those offers, but how do you how do you adapt and come back the next day and 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 adjust to what they're doing to you? Deep to left field. This ball's high. It's deep. Number six hundred for Jim Tommy. Everybody out on the field. All the twins get out there. It's a pace of game plan right there. Slowing it down. Very nice, Jim Tommy. (laughs) They slowed the game down. All came out there. Yeah, Come on, get in the, the dugout. dugout. Yeah. Celebrate after the game. Break out the champagne after the game. Get we, the game done. So we've had a bunch of, you and I have both had a bunch of issues with baseball writers in the Hall of Fame vote. And like Bonds and Clemens are two of the greatest, most noteworthy players to ever play. Baseball didn't care for 20 years during their careers. Whether guys were doing PEDs, they didn't even really implement strict testing until those guys were basically out of the league. Mm-hmm. So if baseball didn't care, why should the writers care so much? You know, that's an era where I, they just turned a blind eye and whatever happened, happened. They celebrated the home runs like anybody well, else baseball did. Baseball embraced it. Yes. It helped save baseball. So uh, here's another one for you. So Kurt Schilling, I'm not going to say blackballed from the Hall of Fame because he did get 51% of the vote, but his his vote total has gone down the last two years. It went down like 10% last year, then kind of back up, but it's not where it was two years ago or three years ago, mostly because we can assume his alt-right-wing political rantings mm-hmm. and some of the things he said that have been very controversial. Personally, even if I disagree with his politics, I think we should focus on his baseball achievements first and foremost. And here's my question to you. We love Kirby Puckett in the Twin Cities. And I'm not even saying Kirby Puckett shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Legendary performances in game in you know game six with the glove and with the bat, 1991 World Series. He's He's borderline statistically... But he's one of the most famous performers in modern baseball. Mm-hmm. Has one of the more iconic series of plays in a World Series game. That all matters. Sure. So if you take maybe some borderline regular season credentials because of the lack of longevity and counting stats, you know, he I think he had 250 career home runs, and you know, it was it was very good. But the postseason put him over the top. Absolutely. Isn't that Kurt Schilling? 
Kurt Schilling maybe even has a better regular season resume. He probably does, than right? Kirby Puckett relative to their positions yes. or their you know their jobs. Yes. And Kurt Schilling also has three World Series rings. Mm-hmm. He he has legendary performances with the Bloody Sock game. He has a World Series ERA that's minuscule. In fact, I believe his postseason ERA is like two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a World Series MVP. So if there's you know regular season, I'm not sure, but postseason puts you over the top. If postseason put Puckett over the top and it put Jack Morris over the top and Colfax and Colfax over the Colfax top, Colfax too. It's gotta put Kurt Schilling over the top. Except for but the voters are like, oh, but he has a controversial podcast and he was a jerk. Yeah, he was a jerk as a matter. player. And Kirby was a great guy to people. Kirby, you know, the media, the the fact that that Puckett's got the two rings is absolutely huge, and the fact that Puckett has has moments that got him or got his team those two rings, is huge, too. But a lot of these people that vote also hold on to the fact that if they came around um, Orlando or or the fort after the Twins moved there for spring training and Puck gave them a half hour, guess what? Puck was a great quote. Puck was a good guy. That matters. And and that's where that's where I think it's completely unfair. Because well, good guy to the media, but like then stories came out oh, about Puckett's no, no, personal but, but life that doesn't and stuff. Matter. And... What I'm saying is he spent, he gave you time. If you if you were a writer and you came around and, and Puck was laughing and having fun and sat down and gave you time, in the media and the voters' mind, that plays a role. And yeah. so if you're Schilling or you're Bonds or you're Clemens and you're a complete jerk, that's going to be held against you. Yeah, It's wrong, but it's but there is no doubt in my mind that it plays a part in all of these conversations. Yeah, and I think, and for the record, because you know, this conversation started with, I pointed out, Mike Messina has 63% of the vote, so he's going to get in at some point, and Schilling only has 51%, so there's a pretty wide gap between two guys from the same era with pretty similar regular season credentials, although Schilling has a lower ERA, better ERA+, plus, more strikeouts, 30 more complete games, all these important categories, and a better postseason track record. And, uh, and I said, Mike Messina is getting more votes because of two things, the politics of Kurt Schilling and the 270 career wins. The voters are still so focused on pitcher wins, not taking into account the reasons why a pitcher gets credit for a team win. I mean, no offense in the 1980s for Jack Morris, and he shouldn't have to apologize for this, but, you know, no offense scored more runs in the 80s than the Detroit Tigers. Mm -hmm. Like, Okay, so you're going out there and you're automatically getting more runs throughout the course of a decade to help you win games than other performers, other pitchers, and other teams. Uh, Mike Mussina, he he pitched for the Orioles and for the Yankees and had Hall of Fame or MVP caliber hitters boosting up, you know. And so someone responded on Twitter and said, Yeah, Mike Mussina also had to face those devastatingly difficult American League East teams on a regular basis, even when, you know, he was. He had the Yankee lineups behind him, but he had to face Red Sox lineups, and and he had to face Yankees lineups when he was with the Orioles. Oh, right. But Kurt Schilling, if we're going to play that game, so Kurt Schilling, the bulk of his career, at least the bulk of his great performances, once he left Philadelphia, took place in the National League West in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. And we're talking about Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds at his peak in that division Coors Field before the Humidor mm-hmm. in that division. The Dodgers always had formidable lineups throughout, you know, the you know the late '90s, 2000s, and then he went to the American League East, where he's facing A Rod and Jeter and all these guys on the Yankees in the postseason too. Correct. 
So both guys faced great lineups. It's it's pitcher wins and politics that separate Mucina and Schilling, and I think that's wrong. I think the fact that what, what drives me nuts about this whole thing is the lack of any consistency whatsoever. There's no consistency here. There's no... Stats are used as a shield until until they're not, and then and then it becomes well. He we think he did this or or that. If there was any consistency, I think I could say okay. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that decision, but I get it. But you know, to, to go back to to Colfax and Santana, there's no consistency. There's no use of precedent as far as, as I can tell. Precedent's great until it's not, and. These people are all voting on their own beliefs, and they're allowed, and they're allowed, and this is the problem, they're allowed to make up the rules as they go. They're allowed to make up the rules, and I get some of that, but when it comes down to Schilling's politics, don't like them, who cares? The ballot should specifically say, if it doesn't, it should specifically yeah. say you can only vote on what this what this man did on the field of play, because a lot of a lot of athletes and a lot of baseball players are complete jerks. But if that becomes the, this is why I'm not going to vote for, for this guy, then, yeah. then you shouldn't be voting. Yeah. Then you shouldn't know. have a vote. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm, I think in general, the baseball writers, and there's so many, there's hundreds of writers that have a Hall of Fame vote every year. And they did, they did take out, like, I love Steve Ashburner, but he's been covering the NBA for 20 years. And he had a vote up until a few years ago on the Baseball Hall of Fame. And not that he didn't put time and effort into it, but it's just, it's uh it's an interesting collection. Usually they get to the right result at the end of the day for the most part. But again, you know what happens if we're sitting here trying to play gatekeeper and but they're not and, doing it and now. moral police officer. But they're not now. So what happens if we find out that oh man, these five guys that are already in from the steroid era and they didn't when we put them in, we didn't know, but now we have like retroactively we figured out that this player and that player and that player were totally juicing for several years. Okay, do you just say, "Well, I guess they got in." That's what they say. I think you just take it out. If And again, I'll go back to this point again. Baseball can tell you that they cared about steroids and cheating. They didn't. If they did, they would have put a more strict testing policy in before 2004. Are you kidding? They so encouraged if ba- it. If baseball kind of turned turned their backs to it and, and, and they were reaping the benefits and they ignored potential problems and some obvious... Some obvious, like, jacked-up players that didn't look right. Yeah. If baseball didn't care, why do writers care so much? These are prominent players. Because Barry Bonds, I don't care if he be, took a pound of steroids before he went to bed every night. Because he's one of the best players in baseball history. He should be in the they hall. They see themselves as policing the sport. They they see themselves as doing a job that's not their job. And, and where I differ with Royce in a huge way is Bud Selig, was was elected now not by the writers but he, he was elected by a group to the Hall of Fame last year. Bud Selig knew about steroids. He was the one who profited in a huge way from from the fact that McGuire and Salsa and Bonds juiced. If you want to make the argument he didn't know, then his incompetence means he has no business in the Hall of Fame. There so it's either one of two. Either he knew and you put him in, and in my opinion, once you put him in, it opens the floodgates, because why should the man who profited on the back of the cheaters be allowed in, but the cheaters aren't, because technically then they all cheated, or if he didn't know, his level of incompetence is so high, there's no way that he he belongs in that Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a good point. It is funny. Like, Bud Selig is prominent and because of the, the, the reinvigoration of baseball in the late 90s and 2000s, and it... 
And if, it all turned out to be a and, house of cards if they do care that much about steroids. And don't be surprised if someday we, we find out that in 98 or or after that year got done, somebody came to Bud and said, there's a problem here. And Bud said, I don't want to hear about yep. it. I don't want to hear about it because we just saved our sport. Yep. Oh, and then the other thing that we've been on for the last three hours is Johan Santana got so few votes that he won't be on the ballot anymore. Johan Santana... His career is very similar regular season to Sandy Koufax relative to their era with multiple Cy Youngs, led the league in ERA multiple times, had a great little like, in Koufax's case, it was about five years. Johan, it was about seven. Now, Koufax has the postseason, but he was an instant no-brainer Hall of Famer. And, and Johan apparently yeah. was an instant no-brainer off the ballot Ow. guy. It's ridiculous. So anyways, let's talk some more football with Matthew Collar. Before we talk football, can we play this Jim Tomey, Hawk Harrelson home run again? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. They have Punto and Casilla on the bench as possible pinch hitters somewhere along the line. Both switch hitters. And there was actually like a minute and a half of silence, but we didn't want to subject the listeners to that once again. So, all right, Matthew Collar, more on what the Vikings, you know, why did their season end the way that it did and what now going forward, picking up the pieces, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. Now back to more sports than you can handle. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right. Let's continue some reckless off-season speculation. Reckless speculation with Matthew Collar. Play the sounder again. Right, hold on, let me find do it. Do the sounder. It's more fun if you do the reckless speculation sounder. All right. Here it is, Collar. And now, it's time for more reckless off-season speculation about the Minnesota Vikings and their quarterback position. Here's Judd and Mackie. Something like that. We'll Jake. get that produced. So we had Bob Fesco on from uh, the morning show on 610 Kansas City just uh, about three segments ago, Matthew. He said there's a 99% chance the Chiefs will trade Alex Smith this offseason. And he said it'll probably cost a second or third round pick. One year, $20 million left on that contract. Yay or nay if you're Rick Spielman? I mean, it makes a heck of a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, the, the fact that there's only one year left on the contract, to me, makes that a, a very good deal for the Vikings to have where they wouldn't have to be locked in long-term to Alex Smith, but they get a quarterback that just led the NFL in quarterback rating and had one of the best offenses in the league. And, you know, people will look at the 2-5 and five record in the playoffs, but if you look at Alex Smith's numbers in the playoffs, He's actually been pretty good. And uh, what was it? In San Francisco, he had a guy fumble a punt. Is that right? The, yes. In the Dude, yes. Championship Kenny game. Williams kid, then, yes. Right. So then he gets up. That was, yeah, that was the Greg Williams kill the head thing. And then, so, you know, at, at this year he's got this lead and he plays pretty well. And then his head coach forgets that running the ball is allowed and his defense yes. can play. In fact, so like, hey, I've got something for you just off what you're saying. So the two most prominent playoff losses he's been involved with with the Chiefs are the, the blown leads against Indianapolis in 13 and uh, and then the one against Tennessee three weeks ago. So those are the ones, and he's the front man for these playoff failures, right? In those two playoff losses, he went 
378, four touchdowns and no picks in one of them. And 73% completions, 264, two touchdowns, no picks, and uh, nine yards per attempt in the other one. Yeah, I just, totally his I just fault. called it up. This guy has 14 touchdowns, two picks in seven playoff games mm-hmm. and a 97 quarterback rating and, and is somehow two and five. I mean, that, that seems like it's just bad luck. And, and I don't think he is the most spectacular quarterback I've ever seen. But if you look at his numbers since joining the Kansas City Chiefs, he's got a 95 quarterback rating, 102 touchdowns, 33 picks, which is really good, coming off a great season. I mean, he, he is not without flaws, but he's still in his prime and maybe even playing the best that he's played. We've seen lots of quarterbacks go into their mid-30s. He's got mobility, too. He can run. I mean, it, it seems to me that if they don't believe in Teddy Bridgewater's knee and they think that that would be an issue, that – Smith is the perfect candidate, and right now you don't need draft picks if you're the Vikings. You do not need to be drafting players to fill out this roster because outside of the quarterback position, this roster is pretty much set. So here's the plan. You go to Teddy and you say, Teddy, we love you. The players love you. We just, though, told everybody that this is a 24-month plan, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to give you an incentive-laden three-year contract, and you are going to be our starter for sure in 2019. You then make the trade for Smith. He gets his year. He walks. And and the reason why in Zim's world I I think Smith is the preferable guy is, as Fesco told us before, he said, Alex Smith will not make mistakes that kill you. And I think Zimmer lived in fear in 2017 of the entire year of Case making mistakes that would kill his team. So the difference is now you're flipping quarterbacks and you are going to get a quarterback here who, if nothing else, your head coach can completely trust for a season. Yeah, the crazy thing about uh, Alex Smith is that since 2011, basically since he's gotten into his prime, he has not thrown more than eight interceptions in a full season. And he's played most full seasons. And he's never thrown more than eight I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty incredible for a guy that's throwing 500 passes per year, and it does make a lot of sense with my, what Mike Zimmer wants to do. And the, the thing with Alex Smith, too, is that if you can get him to take some risks, he's got the arm and he has the talent to be able to throw the ball down the field. So he isn't just a dink-and-dunk type of guy that with wide receivers like Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs who get open deep so often – you might be able to convince Alex Smith to throw the ball down the field and have one of the best years of his career uh, as he did this year with a very stacked Kansas City offense. The thing about Bridgewater, I mean, if no one else is willing to give him a starting job, then it would make so much sense for him to come back on a deal like you're, you're saying. It's just that it has the feel that someone will, whether it's going to be Miami or uh, you know maybe even the, the Cleveland Browns want somebody to come in and, and they want to draft uh, draft Josh Allen and have him sit for a year or something like that. Uh, Arizona doesn't have a quarterback. The Bills have quarterback uncertainty. It just seems that there's too many teams out there with the unsure quarterback situations that one of them will say to Teddy Bridgewater, yes, you can come in and be our starter. Uh, that has been Reckless Speculation. Speculation. Yeah. Mackie and Judd. Uh, all right, why you you cut open the body? Why did the Vikings get smoked by the Eagles, Matthew? What happened? <laughs> the autopsy, Quincy. How did it look? Oh man, yeah, I, I I got home from Philadelphia, put on uh, my new pair of socks that we bought there in Philly. They breathe; and, they're so uh, nice. 
And I just, yeah, I felt comfortable. They breathe well. And I sat down and for several hours yesterday watched the entire game back on the coaches' film. And I think it was entirely the offensive and defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles being the best in the NFL. I, I, I don't think I've seen a better offensive and defensive line all season, and that includes the Jaguars and Vikings. And they performed at peak Eagles. And being at home, I think, was a huge factor for them because there were some plays where the the Vikings were blitzing, and it was clear. You could see it with uh, Nick Foles giving out signals to his running backs and his offensive line that they communicated really, really well. And that's where the Vikings are so good. I, I found this stat yesterday that the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium were third in the league in sacks. On the road, they were 28th. So there was a huge difference between how well they pressured the quarterback at home and on the road, and you add that with the Eagles having one of the best defensive lines, or, or sorry, offensive lines in the NFL, and I think it was the perfect cocktail to beat that defense because one of the things that the Vikings do, they rely so much on the pressure that their entire secondary plays really aggressively all the time. And you saw a great example of it is when Harrison Smith got beat uh, down the sideline by Zach Ertz, where you, you would say, wow, I mean, Harrison never gets beat like that. But the reason he got beat like that was because he covered Ertz aggressively underneath the whole time, and he'd expected Foles to have the ball out by then, but he didn't because he was so well protected, and Ertz was able to turn up field. Most of the big plays pretty much came because Nick Foles had great protection. Who did we, in, in retrospect now, Collar, uh, dump on unfairly, and who who actually did have a terrible game? Um, well, I mean, by the results, they all had terrible games. Uh, but I think that the person that is dumped on unfairly a bit is probably Harrison Smith, um, because some of those noticeable plays were really because of the amount of protection. And he's played that way all season and made big plays all season because he played that same way. It just didn't work out. The other one is probably Terrence Newman on, on the 53-yard bomb. That's another instance where Newman had great coverage all the way down the field and then Foles held the ball for five seconds and apparently has great chemistry with Elshon Jeffrey because they were on the same page with Jeffrey breaking from his route and taking off toward the end zone. And, I mean, you give a guy five seconds. There, there aren't any corners in the NFL who can cover guys for five seconds, and we've seen uh, Case Keenum benefit from that at times this season. Though probably the secondary getting burned the way they did was much more because they couldn't pressure the passer. Yeah. What's um like what as as you're trying to collect here at Winter Park? Well, not Winter Park anymore. I guess Egan. If you're Rick Spielman and company, um, you know, I I I don't think that they should just completely throw away the draft because you do have to be somewhat mindful. But they only have five draft picks, and usually Rick Spielman likes to have ten. So, you know, would you just plan for kind of a one year window and go all in to some degree? I mean, what 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 would your planning look like here the next couple months? I mean, if it were me, then I would be trading every draft pick that I could possibly trade. Your your draft scouts would not be very happy with that, but I would, any need that you have, try to trade someone for it uh, because this roster is so good right now. I mean, this is a team who went 13-3 and three and was in the NFC Championship with many, many players in their prime. You think about the running back, the two wide receivers, the two defensive ends, the nose tackle – the, the, the top two corners, all these guys in key positions are all in their prime star players, and you're going to bring every single one of them back. It's only some ancillary players that aren't coming back, and you could pick those guys up in free agency. I mean, Tom Johnson did a great job this year, but there's another Tom Johnson out there 
in free agency if you can't bring him back that you can replace that spot. So if it takes trading a pick to get a quarterback like Alex Smith, or even if you wanted to trade for a number three wide receiver, that position seems pretty unclear right now, or or whatever other option you might want to take, I, I say trade as much as you can because you are not planning for the future. Usually the way these things go is you have three, four years to win it, and if you don't win it, then it all falls apart, mm-hmm. and then you rebuild it again. And that's kind of where we're at. I mean, that's, of course, if you don't have Aaron Rodgers, then you just always win, and the Vikings do not have Aaron Rodgers. Right. It's a, if you have one of those, there's like five golden tickets to always being in contention for 10 or 15 years, and the Vikings don't have one of those. So you got, And they won't if they get Alex Smith, by the way, either, but he might give you a better chance. So Matthew Collar, find him at 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right, Collar. Good stuff from Collar there. On the ride today for Royce as well. He is. He's yeah, he'll be in, in for Patrick. From uh, three to uh, six, my guess is. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Dave, what kind of questions do you want to hurl at us next? Really good ones, Phil. We're going to talk again about the new football league coming, courtesy of Vince McMahon, XFL Part 2. And we'll get back into Hall of Fame as well. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. May I present a pair of fellow sophisticates? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave Harrigan's got some, what is the Spanish translation? Preguntas? Preguntas. Never took Spanish. No, okay. I have no idea. Okay. I figured we'd shake it up a little. Call no questions preguntas is what I'd call it. De... Uh, importancia, something like that. I'll go. Go ahead with the questions. That sounds good. Yeah, it sounds really good. Go ahead with those questions. All right. Play the role of consultant, boys. You guys, you're you're sports luminaries. You know football. You know how leagues run. Al, if you're Judd Zolgate, you should run the leagues. Vince McMahon, he's about to make a big announcement this afternoon. Football related. We're going to start the XFL part two or whatever we're going to call it. Let's be honest. Didn't go so well the first time. Uh, no. One year, complete failure. The best thing to come out of it was the 30 for 30 last year. Vince might need a little help, might need to hire a consultant. So he gives you guys a call and says, hey, uh, I'm starting this football thing again, but I'm kind of lost. I just need you to answer a simple question. What should the league look like? What, what are we aiming for here? What's the goal of a new football league that, frankly, is going to compete not only against the NFL, but college football and a lot of parts of the country, high school football as well? Mm-hmm. What's the goal? Do we know when the plan for this league to play is? We don't know Spring anything or winter, about winter, fall. Yeah. Okay. We know nothing about this. He's going to announce something in like two hours. Because the first thing I tell him is, Vince, what you should be doing is a spring developmental league uh, that certainly tries uh, to siphon guys like Phil talked about before, from practice squads and things like that. But what you want to do here is you want to create a product that somebody wants to buy eventually. And that product, to me, is is either luring uh, college players out early before the National Football League allows them to play and or getting guys off practice squads. But you don't want something that's going to compete directly with the pros because they're going to win. They're going to beat you down. It's not going to be close. You want something that's actually going to eventually look like a feeder system for them and is going to captivate people when football is usually not being played, which is the spring into the summer. That would be, that would be my solution. You know, I think I would, uh, I would almost, this is, there's so many things here. 
do you, you have to decide, do you want to compete? You should not compete against the NFL. That's that's number one. If you try to compete against the NFL, you're an absolute moron and you're lighting your entire company on fire. Now, where he did get something right with the XFL, the timing, if I remember, they started it the week after the Super Bowl was over. So, yes. hey, Super Bowl just happened, and we know you still love football, so here's more football. And uh, and they started like February 10th or whatever the date was, or the first weekend in February. I still think that's the right time frame. So you could start, you know, middle of February and go through, I don't know, sometime in 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 May. Mm-hmm. But then you run into okay, if you're going to, if you're going to try and pull like CFL caliber players, well, that season goes from June, middle of June through uh, November. Are those guys going to play year round? Probably not. I don't think those guys are going to. I mean, maybe some of them are going to try to. You're going to have to get quality players. You're going to have to get. You're going to either have to take top college players or or college players who can at least make your product good. Like, I mean, or CFL players that could at least you know make your product formidable. I don't know how he's going to get players. So I guess I would tell him sex it up again. Screw it. Go with the same plan. <laughs> the lingerie and uh, you know just don't just don't spend as much Go, money doing. You're it. You're going to be inside the cheerleaders locker room before kickoff. <laughs> yeah. Bring back the coach. Make it out with cheerleaders. Oh. So yeah, you know it's. Good luck is Rusty what I would Tillman say. Comes back. Good luck. Who's gonna Who's gonna play in it? Is he gonna bring that's a bunch of eighteen year old out. kids? Like that's what we're trying to figure out. And if you're gonna If you're gonna try and grab the arena league caliber players, are you gonna put them on a one hundred yard field, and it's just gonna be a watered down version of the CFL? I don't know, man. I love the idea of a successful middle league of football, yeah. but I don't know how you would even begin to. There's a reason why it's not in existence mm-hmm. right now, right? A lot of smart people have no, probably tried. It is. It's called college football. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that's way more popular than this ever will be. Mm-hmm. So good luck to you. And fan bases are just more attached to, to those schools and those communities. And yeah, good luck. Keep that uh, consultant hat on if you would, but switch topics. It's a very simple question. Say some guy, Billy from wherever, gets a Hall of Fame ballot for the first time. Baseball, whatever sport, doesn't matter. He just gets a Hall of Fame ballot, but he has no idea what to do. Kind of like Vince when he's running a football operation. (laughs) Most important guideline. He looks to you for guidance. You have one important guideline for him to look at when he's filling out that Hall of Fame ballot when it comes to looking at players versus players, careers versus careers. What's the most important guideline to follow for a Hall of Fame voter in your mind? It's kind of a it's kind of a a 1A, 1B that goes hand in hand. For me, it's off the top of your head, were they one of the most prominent players of their era? So were they famous, right? Hall of Fame. Were they were they one of the most noteworthy players of that era? And then to sort of fact check that, were they one of the best players at that position in that era? You know, whatever the definition is over that 10 to 15 year stretch. That's what I would start with. Now, Dave, before the show, brought up a great sort of third category here, which is like the Jamie Moyers of the world. If you were super prominent and unique in some way, if you're Jamie Moyer or if you're uh, who was that hitter Julio Franco, mm-hmm. yeah, who played, played until like, he was fifty, yeah, and and you played over four different decades, but you weren't yeah. an MVP, you weren't, but your greatness is in your ability to play professional baseball at the highest level when you're fifty years old. Mm-hmm. I'm open to that. I'm I'm I would sit and listen to a debate on Julio Franco and Jamie Moyer. 
I'm not saying I would put him in the Hall of Fame, but I would be open-minded to that debate. My whole argument Hall of Fame is you don't need to take the best players and only the best players. They deserve to be in there, not saying they don't, but I want guys that tell a story. Yes. I want I'm amazing stories, and if it's Johan yes. Santana, as you said you know earlier, you know a handful of really, really great seasons— or whether it's, you know, Babe Ruth, arguably the best player of all time, whatever it is. I just want a great story. I think I tell the young man who's who just got the ballot for the first time, remove your personal biases. So if you didn't like the guy, but he's great, vote for him. Or if you didn't like the guy because you think he did something, but you're not quite sure what he did and you, you sort of think you've read some stuff, vote for him. Remove your personal biases and only consider what this person did on the field of play. Doesn't matter if he is has weird politics like Schilling. Doesn't ma- matter if you think he did steroids, but you're not quite sure. If the numbers and the accomplishments on the field deserve the vote, give the vote. It is really funny that if you if you take yourself, you know, thirty thousand foot view, let's look at baseball. So baseball is a meme that we subscribe to. It's just like this this made up activity that we started doing a couple hundred years ago, and we've all decided that we really really love. Like baseball as an activity, and we're going to pump money into it and become emotionally attached to it. And then when deciding who the greats are within that activity and that meme that we all subscribe to, we're going to now consider other things like outside of it that, well, Kurt Schilling, I don't like him in this other area over here, and so I'm going to punish him for for that in yeah. in this realm over here. It's like, come on. It's so stupid. All right, personal question now. It was a big night for me last night, as I told you guys earlier. I was thinking back to my college years. I literally went every single day of my freshman year in college where I was you know, eating on the meal plan, having a grilled cheese sandwich every single day. Wow. For like a whole year? Or- every single day. Wow. Every day I had a grilled cheese sandwich. I was also one year living in an apartment where I l- probably six out of every seven nights had either hot dogs, frozen pizza, or a George Foreman grilled chicken breast with some pasta side and a can of corn. Dave and I lived a very similar food life this in college. Sounds very, family. very sad, but keep going. My diet was not broad, is what I'm trying to tell I, you. Yes. Last night, as I mentioned earlier, I had tofu with zoodles, zucchini noodles. <laughs> the whole time a, cussing myself, way. planning to go to Arby's if this all went, went, went to Haywire. Arby's is good. Arby's is very solid. Got one close. It's very nice. So my question to you is, that is something that obviously in my early 20s, I never envisioned myself doing. What is something that you do now that picture yourself back in your early 20s or so, you couldn't have imagined you would be doing now? Um, I would say it's some of my house chores. <laughs> you don't do house chores. Not true. Not true at all. That's a lie. I do the garbage. <laughs> I do the dishes. I plowed the sidewalk which was a pain yesterday, and the snow was very heavy, and I thought I was going to die. But I would say the biggest surprise for me is doing dishes. I am the guy that does the dishes. I basically do them all the time, and I'm good at Bravo, it. I'm talented. I would, say, I would say my work on dishes is one. I would say one B, my own laundry. I never thought there would come a day where I would be in charge of... Now, I don't do Dawn's because I don't know what, what to put wait, with did, what. Did you grow up in 1905? I don't like, know what to put with what. No, I grew up with my mom at, at our house, did, did it before, and she used to iron everything. She used to iron my boxer shorts. I never did any of that. And, and now I do my own laundry basically all the time. I perfected it 
I don't ruin clothes. So I would say one is I, I in my 20s, I did not foresee myself uh, certainly doing dishes on a full-time basis. And now I've graduated the fact I'm very good at that. And two is laundry. Now, are you in... Or one B is laundry. Did you envision back in the day that you would marry somebody who would always do the dishes and your laundry? Or were you envisioning, I'm just always going to bring it back to mom's house? No, 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 no. I thought when I got married, I thought, you know, because I had seen that my whole life. I thought, oh, my, my wife will do those things. Well, well that's let's, very traditional let's, of you. Well, let's just say that was... And I'm fine with it. But I was mistaken there. And so now I do those things. And I have... Uh, I've perfected them per- Pretty much. I think my mom, uh, I was about 11 years old, and I, you know, I, it was my laundry started piling up, and I think I asked, hey, are, you know, when, when, you know, are we going to do laundry? Are you going to, and she goes, <laughs> I think it's about time that you learn for yourself. Good for ah, your mom. That's fantastic. Good for your mom. You know what? 11 or 12 God years old. God bless her for that. Good for her. Um, I would say, well, okay, before I answer this, the question, as far as college eating habits go, there was about a two-year stretch if if there was five foods, it was probably about five foods that I stuck to, including you dining services. Oh god! They had the late night hot dog buffet <laughs> yes. every single night, yes. so that was one thing. Ramen noodles became really big. These like packaged ramen noodles for your freshman dorm room, so that was an everyday thing. Never did ramen. Easy Mac though, a lot of Easy Mac. So then when we got into the from the dorms to the sophomore year, the Melrose, which there was an Arby's over there too, and then they tore it down for a bunch of like more condos. So we go to Arby's all the time, but we basically lived off. Frozen pizza, macaroni and cheese, and then when we were really trying to, you know, get in good shape for the spring break season, just like turkey sandwiches with bread. But we would put sriracha sauce on everything. Yeah, because sauce makes everything better. Well, when you already have the mac and cheese, you don't need sriracha sauce, but just to put a little extra thing on it. What brand of frozen pizza? Uh, I was I, a Jack's guy. I believe I was going to say Jack's and uh, Red Baron. I think were the okay, two. Jack's are like two bucks a pop. They're fantastic. I'd yes. always eat half the pizza and say, or I could just eat the whole thing exactly. and then just trust the other half. Too. Yep. So to answer your question specifically, what's something I do now that I could never envision myself doing? Let's say when I was twenty years old, waking up every day before eleven o'clock a.m. <laughs> I used to schedule my entire class list every semester, my junior year, senior year. Specifically, to have nothing before ten thirty or eleven o'clock, so I just jam everything between eleven o'clock and six p.m. or take night classes, and then stay up all night playing online poker. And like, if my alarm had to go off at nine o'clock or nine thirty, I was a zombie. And now, <laughs> got to be on the radio at nine o'clock. So, and you get up even earlier than both of us. But there's something about when you're twenty years old. Oh, it's hard. Not to get being up. able to fathom. Yep. What if I have to get up every day at like five o'clock or six o'clock, <laughs> and then you start doing it, and you realize, oh, wait till you get get old, and you start to wake up at like four, and then four thirty, and uh, that's a real pain. That sounds like a growing problem. That is a. You might need old, to get your prostate that's checked. That's an old man problem, dude. You wake up having to. No, I just wake up now. No, no, I just wake up. I wake up at like 3.15 and then 4.25. How many cups of coffee and or bottles of Diet Coke or cans do you have in a given day? I don't want to talk about that. Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, press play. On 1500 ESPN. Join Judd Zolga and Matthew Collar for a live taping of the Purple Podcast coming ahead of the big game. It'll be next Thursday, February 1st. The guys will be at the Beacon at Graduate Minneapolis to tape the podcast starting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Plus, former NFL players Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young will be joining Judd and Matthew. More details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword graduate. Here's a tweet at Phil Mackey at 1500ESPN, Judd. From Samuel, 
You know the Vikings lost when the topic is macaroni and laundry. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we we speculate recklessly for a while, and then we uh, turn to food. Exactly. In life and on the radio. That's basically us. 651-646-8255. Ask Mackie and Judd in play here for the last segment if you want to call in and ask about anything. Macaroni and laundry or the Vikings or our Hall of Fame conversations, whatever you want. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. What's up, Roderick? How's it going? It's going well. Uh, earlier you argued or debated that the Hall of Fame voters should ignore athletes who took steroids because the M- the uh, league didn't care about it. You also said with Santana that the uh, players should be elected if they had a brief period in which they were great. So based off of that logic, then Sammy Sosha should be elected because he has over 600 home runs, which is typically a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. He had three or four consecutive seasons of hitting over 60 home runs in each season, which I don't know if anybody else has ever done that, and maybe even Mark McGuire. Your thoughts? Agreed. I agree. Yeah, I think Palmero too. Then, although Sammy Sosa, three thousand hits, right for Palmero? Yep, yep. I mean, I mean, Rafael Palmero's credentials are absolutely yes. Hall of Fame. Uh, Sammy Sosa was a little bit more of a hollow overall player. Who was he? Was a masher? Didn't have like the defensive prowess. You could put him out there, and he wouldn't be a train wreck. He had a pretty good arm, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Sammy Sosa had a stretch. When he was corking his bat and taking performance enhancing drugs. I love the fact that taking the PEDs was not enough for Sammy. Yeah, where he went 66 homers, 158 ribs. Yeah. 60, and then, and then didn't uh, lead the league in home runs that year, by the way, because McGuire also broke the record. Mm -hmm. 63 jacks, 141 runs driven in, then down to 50 in 2000, which led the league. And uh, he, and then he bounced back in 2001 and hit 64 bombs and drove in 160 runs that season. Mm-hmm. So if we're going off all of our parameters, okay, the PED thing, forget it. Like let's just vote based on what you did in the field, and uh, also the fame factor should should come into play. Then Sammy Sosa should should I think he should get more consideration for the Hall of Fame. Yes. I don't think he's a shoe-in, but I think he should get a lot more consideration. And w- once again, this also comes back to my point is that there should be there should be a committee, that the one that sends out the ballot that makes the decision on the morals. And if you and if you find out a guy, if you have evidence that a guy cheated and it's rock solid, and and you want to take him off the ballot like Pete Rose, then he doesn't get votes and he's out. My problem is right now you send all these names out and you're basically saying, okay, voters, you're the morality police. So on a case by case basis, you decide. I think the decision should be made for for the people that vote. And when they get the ballot, all you should all they should have to look at is how did this guy do on the field? Yeah. So Barry Bonds is at fifty six percent of the vote. Sammy Sosa is at seven percent of the vote. So let, let's see here. 238 votes for Bonds, 200 fewer votes for Sosa. Mm -hmm. Let's say they're both like, let's say you take the PED thing out. Bonds has the better overall just track record as an overall player, but that's kind of an inconsistency there too, right? I mean, Sammy Sosa is not Barry Bonds. I'm not saying that he's as good as Barry Bonds, but but Sammy Sosa is one of the great hitters of all time. The assumption made there, though, is, and this is where it gets murky to me, the assumption made is that Bonds without steroids would have been a shoe-in. He would have been a Hall of Fame player, no question. 
Social without steroids, the assumption is, might not have been. But that's such a... And like, so that's how, how but do I'm you saying, know? This is the best what, part. How, how the hell do you know Barry Bonds wasn't on steroids in 1992? That's, but that's well, how because his head got bigger. Well, maybe he voting. took more. I don't know. Exactly. Uh, Joe, you got about 30 seconds. Fire away. Uh, Vikings QB. Um, my personal take, I can't see Keenum giving Keenum long-term and a lot of money. We're a win now. you got to get a guy who can win in the playoffs. Case, great guy proven that big game is not where he's going to belong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd love to see Cousins in here, my personal opinion. But uh, I'd even maybe take Alex Smith. That's, uh, you guys have a great week. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Joe. Appreciate enough. it, man. We should, do, you know, we should devote a show each week to some reckless quarterback speculation and, and turn our next? attention to Kirk Cousins That's sometime how long? next week. Four or five-year contract, tons of guaranteed cash. Yeah. That's the difference there. It would be fun because it was good. We had Bob Fesco on from Kansas City, morning show hosting Kansas City, and and he gave us the whole lowdown on what fans think about Smith, and he said there's a 99% chance the Chiefs trade him, and it's going to be like a second or third round pick. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of interesting to get a Washington D.C. flavor of okay, what what do you think of Kirk Cousins, and are, and are, are they going to franchise him again too? Because yeah. if they do, he's off the market immediately. So. Right. Uh, find all of our stuff on demand at 1500ESPN.com. Big show tomorrow. Chip's going to join, too. Uh, superstar Mike Morris, all kinds of fun stuff. And then Radio Row all next week. Mackie and Judd. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for 2 Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with VentureX. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The VentureX card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.